is Happiness Solved with America's Happiness Coach, Sandy Scarlatta. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am so happy you're here. So I recently had an amazing opportunity to talk about this topic on live TV, and I think that it's just, it's a timely thing to start my podcast with, and it's basically reset and de-stress. So, you know, stress is still a huge factor in today's world, and it is such a major problem that is affecting people both mentally and physically. According to the American Psychological Association, stress affects all systems of the body. That's right. Every major system of our body it can be affected by stress. Now, WebMD reported that 43% of all adults suffer adverse health effects from stress, like high blood pressure, skin conditions, depression, and anxiety. And 75 to 90% of all doctor's office visits are for stress-related ailments and complaints. That number is staggering. So I always like to say, at any time during the day, you can press the reset button, right? And reset your day, just like you reboot your computer when it's not functioning properly. So here are my five tips to reset your day and help you reduce stress. Step one is exercise, right? Exercise is going to raise your endorphins. It's going to get your heart rate up, and that is going to help you reduce your stress. So take a walk in nature, dance to your favorite music, ride a bike, anything that you enjoy doing is going to help reduce your stress. Step two, gratitude. Every day when you wake up, make a list of everything you have to be grateful for. And at any time during the day when you need to reset your day, focus on your blessings and feel its loving embrace. You will be amazed at how quickly you will feel better. Tip three, deep breathing. All you need to do is take 10 slow, deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth, okay? This is also an amazing way to reduce your anxiety. Tip number four, grounding or earthing. So this just simply means taking off your shoes outside and feeling the grass or the earth beneath your feet right? This is energizing and balancing for your emotions. So imagine yourself walking on the beach if you've ever experienced that, right? The sun's shining, you've got a breeze blowing, you hear the sound of the ocean, but what's really happening is that your your feet are touching the earth. That's why it feels so great. So just take off your shoes and walk on the grass. You don't have to go to the beach. And the last step, number five, is trust. Learn to trust that everything is going to work out exactly as it's supposed to, right? It always does. And I always like to add to that, if you can control a situation, then there's nothing to worry about because you have control over it. If you can't control a situation, then there's no need to worry about it because it's something that is completely out of your control. So I hope you enjoyed these tips and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. So before I introduce my guest, I want you to take just a minute and think about everything that you have to be grateful for. As I've shared before, gratitude is the quickest way to shift your mood and raise your energy levels from maybe negative to positive, right? Life is too short to 
be holding on to any sort of, you know, negative feelings and whatnot. And, and when you start to focus on everything that you have to be grateful for, it's as if by counting your blessings, you just feel this loving embrace that feels amazing. And it is so quick and easy to do. So I'm grateful for number one, my health. Number two, I have a healthy and happy, thriving college student, my one and only son. And three, I am so happy that you are continuing to support me and listen to my podcast. So thank you so much. I am just eternally grateful for all of you out there. So today's guest is Emma G. Rose. Emma is about to publish her fourth novel. Technically, it's young adult fiction, and she's going to tell us all about these books and give us an insight into her, the fourth one. And uh, she also shares just a, a pretty amazing story of how she got to this point. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Hello, Emma. How are you today? <laughs> I'm well, Sandy. How are you? I'm doing great. And I'm so happy to finally be speaking with you since our mutual friend, Lynette, introduced us over email. Lynette's very good at introducing people who need to know each other. So I'm sure this is going to be a great conversation. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So thank you so much for being here today. So I honestly, this is the case with most of my interviews. I don't do a whole lot of research beforehand because I want there to be this spontaneity. Because if I know everything about you, then it's not, you know, there's no surprise for me in it. And I like that. I love surprises. <laughs> so what got you to this point where you are today? So... Well, let me start with where am I today? At this moment, I am standing in my house in uh, Hamden, Maine, which is the middle of Maine, probably a part that most people have never been to. And I have a book launch coming up for my third novel. Incredible. Thank you. It is the fourth book published by my publishing house, which I founded myself, Imperative Press Books. Um, and yeah, so I am quite literally living the dream of my 10 year old self, except that I didn't even realize some of this was possible when I was 10 years old. <laughs> so you've always wanted to be a writer. Always. I, since I first realized that books were written by people and not by, I don't know, magic, I knew that writing was the thing I wanted to do. Even when sometimes I was told that it wasn't really a possible thing to make a living doing, I did find a way. That's incredible, actually, because it is very, as somebody who's written two books, it's very difficult. You don't make money, <laughs> make money on your books. It's hard. Right. And that's, that's my secret is uh, I don't make money on my books. Pretty much everything that's made, in fact, everything that I've made from books so far, except for the fundraising anthology, everything else, the money has gone directly back into more books. But I'm also a freelance writer for other people. And so um, I write blog posts and web content and all that fun stuff for companies. And so I make money there and then I can spend it on doing this thing that I'm really excited about, which is to write books and to talk to people and to go into schools and talk to kids and, well, teens. And someday I'd like to make enough money for that to be the only thing I do. But for now, I'm doing two things and it's a lot of fun and it keeps me keeps me going. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I know that there's a big industry out there for content writing. Mm -hmm. And I looked into it um, about a year or so ago, but my life just shifted in a different direction. 
than that. But that's really great. I mean, if you can, if you can be a full-time writer, that's amazing because yeah, there's it's, definitely a market for it. That's for sure. There is, there is. And it really is. It's the dream. I, I don't think I, at 10 years old, I couldn't have planned this, right? I couldn't have said that this is what I'd be doing. But if I could go back and talk to myself as a child and say, Hey, guess what you're going to do? <laughs> I would just be ecstatic. So I think that's the best any, anyone can hope for is that you make your 10 year old self proud. Oh, for sure. For sure. And you know what? The thing is, is that, you know, what is, what's life worth if you can't be doing what you really want to do? Exactly. And now with the internet, that just gives writers even more of an opportunity. Yes. Yeah. There's a huge opportunity to get in front of people and to find your people. I think that I'm a big advocate of independent publishing. Um, I call it independent publishing, not self-publishing, because I really want to stress the independent portion of this. But I'm a big advocate for it because I don't think you necessarily need to be a New York Times bestseller to be the best writer that you can be. And I think that everybody has people out there in the world, whether they've met them yet or not, who are, are just going to be ecstatic to read your work. So I, you know, I want people, as many people as can, to write their stories, to get them out into the world, and to find those people who are going to say, oh my gosh, someone thinks like me. You, you changed the way I think, or you, you showed me the world in a different way. Like that's, that's amazing. And it happens even if you only have a few readers to start with. That's exactly right. And, and my intention with the book that I was released earlier this year was just that. You know, if I can, if I can just change people's, the way they're thinking one person at a time, that's all that matters to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I want to get to your books, but first you mentioned right before we started the interview that you have your origin story and I'd love to hear it. Okay. So this is fair warning to listeners. This is a, uh, there's some, some real sad topics that I'm, I'm going to touch on here, but I promise it gets better as life does. So I'd always wanted to be a writer my entire life. It was all I ever wanted. And of course, when it was time to go off to college, everybody went, yeah, but how are you going to make money? So I went to journalism school and I learned lots of things there and uh, interned for the big paper here in my state. And it was a great experience, but quickly realized journalism probably wasn't where I wanted to, to hang out. I liked to tell stories. I liked to learn about people, to ask them questions. But some of the, the trappings of journalism were not for me. You know, I, don't, I don't like politics. I don't like confrontation. So <laughs> there was a lot that I had to do that was not in my comfort zone and um, just not in my, in my zone of genius, as they say. So I went out to find something else to do. And the same time that I graduated, the same year that I graduated, uh, we had a family tragedy my 17-year-old cousin died by suicide. And nothing puts your life in perspective like losing someone young in a traumatic way. Exactly. It just changed everything for everyone in my family. But I think for me, I was at this kind of turning point in my life where I was graduating from school. I had plans later that year to move to literally the other side of the planet, which I did. And so I was suddenly in Japan, kind of by myself, 
I was married at the time, but my husband was stationed overseas and, and in the Navy. So he was, you know, off on a boat somewhere. And I was by myself in this apartment in Japan. And I did the only thing I knew how to do to cope with this situation, which was to write. It's always been my coping mechanism. If you go down into my basement to this day, there's boxes and boxes of old journals because that's that's how I talk to myself. That's how I know what I'm thinking, how I know what I'm feeling. I write it down and then I say, oh, that's what I meant. So, Well, it's very healthy. It's a very healthy coping mechanism. I think so. I mean, there's lots of worse things I could do than write stories about how I'm feeling. Absolutely. So I started writing this story um, kind of by accident, uh, as as these things often start. I was laying on the floor of my apartment reading a Terry Pratchett novel, and all of a sudden I had these two people arguing in my head. And I know that when that happens, I have to write them down so that they'll stop bothering me so that I can do what I'm trying to accomplish at the time. And in this case, it was two teenagers arguing about whether or not they were dead. Yeah. Do you know where that came from? <laughs> I have no idea. I, I think death was on my mind. Death is a is a big character in many of Terry Pratchett's novels, though not in the one I happen to be reading at the moment. So I'm not sure. But they had this like, you know, snarky teenage, like kind of picking on each other while dealing with something really serious, but like making jokes. And so I wrote down this couple of pages of of text and I kept coming back to them over the next few days and months and eventually years I I kept coming back to these characters and I eventually wrote them a whole story and in that story spoiler alert it's not really a spoiler it's in the first chapter they die and they go on a journey through the afterlife and writing this was exactly what I needed because I created a space for my cousin to live in, for everyone I've ever lost to live in. And I kind of put them there in this place that had its own challenges, but was it still existed in my mind. And I wrote this whole novel and then I put it away because it was scary. <laughs> and so... <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, any anytime <laughs> you write anything, it's, you know, the self-doubt just takes over if you yes. let it, right? I mean, yes. it's... Yeah. And I'd never been published except for in newspapers, you know, with the, as a journalist. I had never had a short story accepted anywhere. I, I just never kind of stepped into that world. So I had this novel that was deeply personal and very much, I mean, I wrote my cousin into the story. I, I wrote other family members and friends into the story who we had lost. And I thought, oh gosh, how could I ever share this with anyone? But eventually, I um, returned to the United States and then returned to Maine and then kind of came around to this idea that I really did want to publish this because the people that I shared it with within my family, my friends all said, people need to hear this story. People who have lost someone need to hear this story. And I heard several of my family members say, it made me feel better to know that there was a place that I could kind of take these people that I had lost and put them in this place and I could imagine them existing there. And, you know, their story wasn't over. It was just happening somewhere else. So I thought if that's making my family feel better, maybe it can help other people feel better too. Right. So I started doing the traditional publishing route 
sending out query letters, writing the terrifying synopsis where you take your entire novel and then you squish it down into a single page that's supposed to be compelling and interesting and also to convey the whole story. Exactly. And, oh, and your writing style. Don't forget your writing style. And if it's funny, it has to be funny. And it's supposed to give things away, but not too much. Yeah. So I did that. And yeah, I've been down that road too. It's, <laughs> it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> it's an exhausting road. And the thing about that road is like everyone, um, the, the people who are publishing, the agents who you're querying, they're in business, right? And they can only, they only have so much time and energy, and they can only invest that time and energy in so many places. So if your book is not what seems to be trending, it's not kind of what they're looking for at the time, it's probably not going to get picked up. And it can be the best book. I mean, it can be beautiful. It can be this, this work of art. And it doesn't matter because it's not what they're looking for at that moment. Exactly. And that's a thing that's, you know, we talk about that a lot. I, I try to talk about it a lot when I talk to independent publishers and in, in independent authors or people who are considering independent, being an independent author. This isn't a failure. It's a choice. And my choice was to get this book into the hands of the people who needed it in any way I could. So for me, that meant I wasn't going to keep querying for years. I needed to find a new path. Of course, I didn't know what that path was. Uh, and that's where Lynette comes into this story, who happens uh -huh. to be the woman who introduced us. So Lynette, I had met her at a, uh, a business event. She was a speaker talking about managing your time and, and figuring out like where you want to spend your life energy and focus and I really liked her, immediately resonated with her. So I was going through a really rough time. I was getting divorced. Well, had just gotten divorced, had moved back to Maine. That felt like a retreat, you know, moving back with your family after you'd been all these other places. I didn't really know what I was doing with myself. So I had started really focusing on my freelance work. That had been kind of a side thing that I was doing. And I started really focusing on it because suddenly that was the only way I had to make a living. So I called Lynette and said, hey, I want to talk about you being my business coach and like, how does this work? So we talked and somehow during that 40 minute conversation, she pulled out of me very lovingly this book. And my terror that it would never be seen by other humans, but also my terror that it would be seen by other humans. And what was I going to do? <laughs> so basically, she said, I will work with you on your business, but we're working on the book thing, too, because <laughs> that's what you really want. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is terrifying. OK. And she helped me all the way through publishing that first book, guided me along the way, helped me figure out what I was doing. And, you know, kind of talked me down from the ledge every time I decided I was just going to quit and, you know, not do this. So I published the first book. And I can honestly say that that conversation changed my life. It changed where I was going. Because I think without someone to say, Emma, just, just do this. It's okay. You can do this. I don't know that I ever would have published. I don't know that I ever would have would have got up the courage and and knocked down all of the barriers I needed to knock down. Many of them, most of them, let's be honest, in my own head. 
that I needed to knock down to be able to do this. And the payoff is that I get to write stories and share them with people. And everybody wants to talk about how many books have you sold and are you making a living and all of that stuff. And I don't care about any of that, really. Like, obviously, I want to sell books. That's great. But the thing that I do this for, the reason that I'm here doing this is every once in a while, I'll get a out of the blue on Instagram or on Facebook or Twitter, like wherever people can find me, I'll get a message that says something to the effect of, I read your book and I, I'm different now. It changed the way I think, or it made me feel seen, or I now believe I can write a book. I now feel better about this loss. I now feel like there's a way forward. Like, these are fiction stories. You know, they're novels. They're, um, this isn't self-help. And I, I don't know that I would ever write a self-help book. I might. I don't know. But these are, are, are stories. And they're changing people. And they're helping people. And back to that 10-year-old kid that I was, if I had told her, you will write stories. And people will come to you and say, thank you for writing this. You changed my life. There's no other better reward than to hear that. That's incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, and you know, I wanted my first book as a novel, and I wanted to help teenagers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, they're not going to read a self-help book or self-improvement book. So that's what I did. I wrote a story where I was coaching these teens, but they just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it sounds like yours is, is a similar, you know, piece of work as well, where your people are able to learn from, from it. But, but you know what, it's like that with any story, but it sounds yes. like you go on a little bit deeper level. So let's talk about that first book. So what okay. is it called? Nothing's Ever Lost. Nothing's Ever Lost. I love it. What mm-hmm. a great title. So give us the synopsis of that. Nothing's Ever Lost is the story of teenage best friends Jack and Anna who die in a car accident and set out on an adventure through the afterlife. Along the way, they meet all kinds of people, most of whom are dead, and discover things about each other and about their friendship that they didn't necessarily know before. And that's all I can tell you, because if I tell you anything else, it will spoil the story. Exactly. No, that's okay. (laughs) All right. So your second book. What is that? The second book is an interesting departure. Um, Near Life Experience is the story of a first responder named Eric who is trying to save a little boy and almost dies himself, has a fleeting encounter with the personification of death, the Grim Reaper, if you will, and is left with a sort of magical ability that is completely disrupting his life and also disrupting death's work and death is not happy about this and he kind of takes eric on a quest to figure out what is going on along the way eric ends up befriending a different young boy who he has to help on his journey nice that's that's that sounds really cool too i I love this i'm gonna have to pick these up And your third book. (laughs) The third book is Assembling Ella. That's the one that just came out uh, in July. And it is the story of a teen artist 
who works her way through a family tragedy with art and a little help from her friends. And one of her friends is an Anorai, a dream creature whose job it is to take care of our dreams and make sure they run appropriately. His name is Phi Tao, and he kind of goes rogue uh, in his attempts to help, which soon become problematic and uh, may cause more issues than they solve. Wow. I mean, you've got an incredible imagination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's great. I mean, they all, but they all sound like, just from the titles, are types of self-improvement books in some sort of way. Like it would help people in overcoming certain things. I hope so. Uh, you know, Nothing's Ever Lost is a very personal sort of story to me because it's it's kind of grief in all its dimensions. You see Jack and Anna kind of grieving the lives that they lost. You see glimpses of their siblings dealing now with life immediately after the death of their loved one. And you see, you know, a few other glimpses into other people's lives. And it's really kind of the immediate aftermath of someone died, now what? Right. In near life experience, it's kind of exploring that feeling of, I wish I could save everyone. I wish there was a way I could make this not happen. And I've had, I had a first responder reach out to me and say, I feel that way. I, I wish I could save everyone. And it feels like a failure when I don't. And I read this book and realized maybe it wasn't a failure. I'm just doing the best I can. Wow. <laughs> I know. That one, I, wow. Okay. <laughs> and then Assembling Ella is the book I needed to write now because it's been 13 years since my cousin died. And this book is about dealing with grief over the long term. So one of the things that my, my brother is much younger than me. So when my cousin died, my brother was only 11, I think. So he, we were told by one of his teachers who happened to also be a grief professional that he would grieve as he grew and that as he, as he matured and as, as he got older, he would kind of go through this, the, the grief process again and again and again. And I responded very violently to that idea. I said, that's stupid. I don't know. That's not true because I didn't want it to be true. Right. I didn't want to believe that my brother would keep grieving, but the interesting thing is it's absolutely true and it's true for everyone, I think. I was 20 and I still go through these cycles where different milestones, interestingly, or I guess almost ironically, when my first book came out and my family was gathered for my book launch event, I remember thinking, I wish Nikki was here, which is kind of funny because I don't know if I would have written, I don't know if I ever would have published if he was here, you know? So it was such an odd feeling. And Assembling Ella is kind of about dealing with that feeling, especially if you're surrounded by people who don't understand. My family has been very understanding, but I've, I've run into a lot of people whose families have not been, whose friends have not been. You know, I've talked to people who are like, why are you still upset? That was so long ago. Or who, on the other side of the spectrum, like, don't want to bring it up, don't want to mention something to me because they're worried that it'll upset me. And you know, mentioning it doesn't remind me he died. I know he died. You remind me he lived when you talk about him. Right. Well, what I can say about that is that for somebody who's never experienced that type of trauma, tragedy, right, they don't understand it. Okay. Right. They can't relate to that. And I have very firsthand experience with that because when I was 12 years old, my older brother died. 
And Mm -hmm. that changed my life forever. Now it's been 42 years since he died. And and he died on September 30th, 1978. And it took me many years to realize that around that time of the year, every year, I start getting very emotional. And it and it dawned on me, I was probably in my 40s when I realized this. It's like, oh, it's that, it's the muscle memory. Like your body does not forget ever. Mm-hmm. It never, never forgets. And just a one more thing to throw in there. My husband, fortunately, has never dealt with a very close loved one that has passed except for his father. And his father was, I believe, 76, 77. And while that doesn't make it any easier, I think because he was ill and you knew it was going to happen, it, mm-hmm. right? So he does not understand, you know, what that's like. Yeah. And I hope he never, I hope he never has to find out. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I live in hope that no one will ever understand this. Like, exactly. it would be great if I talked about this and people were like, what are you talking about? That's never happened to me. Like, awesome. I hope That's, it doesn't. It's incredible. <laughs> if people can get through their life and into their elder years and not have to bury a child or, you know, a young person or anything like that, you know, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That really would be. Wow. Well, that's really incredible. Now, you also have a podcast. Yes. So it's completely switched topics. Yes. Um, I do have a podcast. Uh, it's the Indie Book Talk podcast, where we talk about all things indie publishing or the expanding universe of indie books, as I say on the podcast. Um, and I started it with a friend from a from my writing group, one of my many writing groups that I've been in. So it's interesting because she is she's been published in some anthologies, but she hasn't published her own book yet. We're working on her. Maybe by the time this goes live, it will have happened because we're nudging, nudging. Um, <laughs> but we talk about all things indie. We've talked to writers of fiction and nonfiction, though mostly fiction. We've talked to comic book authors and basically anyone who's kind of operating outside that traditional publishing format. One of our most listened to episodes was with Lisa Reagan, who has done a epic number of thriller books. And um, she she's kind of what we call a hybrid publisher. So she's published, some of her books are published through like a small press and some of them are published more independently and some of them are published in another, like, so she's got all these different ways of publishing based on which book she's working on and, and which series. So yeah, the podcast is fun. It's been a new adventure. It's secretly an excuse to just pick people's brains about what they've learned about indie publishing. <laughs> <laughs> You're so brilliant. <laughs> uh, yes, it's secret, secret. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> That's awesome. And then you also have your own independent publishing company. I do. I now, have do you publish own... anybody else? Not well, okay, that's a, that's a tricky question, believe it or not. So I, we have yet to publish a novel by another author, though I'm open to the possibility if the right novel comes along. What we did do is during the pandemic, I got very upset, as many of us did, and I thought, how can I help? I am a writer. <laughs> I do not, I'm not a doctor, not a doctor, not a medical professional of any sort, I, I can't do anything that seems immediately helpful right now. And so 
I actually, this was one of those something just hits you upside the head sort of ideas. I was literally like on my knees in my father's fish room because he has fish. And I was helping him to change out water tanks. And I was holding the hose so that the water goes into the water tank. And I just had this idea that like I almost spilled water on the floor because it was it just hit me so hard. Like, oh, this is amazing. Let's do this. And the idea was, let's put together an anthology of writing by main authors writing during the pandemic. And we'll call it Paul Bunyan Wears a Face Mask. And because that's a main thing. Paul Bunyan's, you know, we're one of the many states that claim Paul Bunyan. And if you go into Bangor, which is like the next town over from me, there's this big Paul Bunyan statue with the axe and the whole thing. <laughs> so we're going to call it Paul Bunyan Wears a Face Mask. It's going to be a fundraising anthology. I will put it together, print it you know, edit it, do everything we need to do to get it out, just like I do for my own books. And we'll sell it. And then all of the profits can go to a charity. And in about 10 seconds, I thought of, ooh, the United Way, because they do everything. And they're super connected. And I know the woman who owns, who uh, is the executive director there. So I was like, ah, okay, (laughs) we're going to do this. And we did. And I wrote up the, the call to action in like, half an hour as soon as we were done and I put the bucket down I ran in the house and I did that and like then had to do that thing where you sit back and go is anyone going to care like is anyone going to want to engage in this ridiculous experiment with me and it turned out people did because we got immediately like within an hour I had emails from authors sending me their their work and so we ended up with 30 something 30 some odd pieces by 30 some odd people ranging in age from 10 years old to the oldest person we know of was 70 something. And um, we had stories, poems, essays, and we put it together in this book and we sold hundreds of copies and I got to write a big check and actually make, you know, the big check that they do when you give it to the charity and they do the photo op. So there's a picture of my mom handing the big check to the United Way Um because she's my business manager. I love it. Yeah. Wow. That's the only other book we've published, but I thought it was a good start. And (laughs) I'm open to the right opportunity when it comes along for who else we can support in publishing their their work. That's that's incredible. And I I know that feeling because I had it too, of what can I do to help? How can I help people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think so many of us just felt so helpless. Yeah. Yeah, for and sure. I'm not good at that feeling. I want to do something. Right. Exactly. You're right. Exactly. Now, do you have a website where people can find your work? I do. I have two websites. I have um, emmagauthor.com, uh, which is more, you know, the authory side about me. There's like lists of my favorite songs and, you know, that sort of thing. And then there's imperativepressbooks.com, which is the publishing house, which is also me. I write all of it, so <laughs> it's all the same. But depending on which side you're more interested in, the podcast information is on imperativepressbooks.com. So that's there. And then the more personal stuff about my books and who I am, like log, if you want me to come to your school and talk to kids or come to your organization, that's all on emmagauthor.com. That's great. And I think that there's definitely the topics. There could be a real, you know, reaching out to the schools. Yes. And now, you know, people are now with most of the school systems are used to doing things remotely. Yeah. So you could easily 
not have to leave your, your the comfort of your own home and give a talk to some schools? Well, I've, I have done a few virtual talks, but I have to tell you the in-person talks are my favorite. Of and course. I love to travel. So like I went to Florida and I was going to be in Florida anyway. And so I reached out to Flagler College and said, hey, would you like me to come talk? And the creative writing teacher there was like, yes, please. And so I went and did a presentation there. So I love going places. And, you know, I go to independent bookstores and schools, and I'm going to speak with a teacher's association uh, here in Maine. So I love all of that stuff. It's my favorite part because it gets me to have a like, personal connection with the people. Right. And turning grief into connection is kind of what I do. That's amazing. I love it. So Emma, is there anything else that you want to share with the audience that we haven't touched on today? I will give you a, a sneak peek at my next book. Let's do that. <laughs> no, I haven't really told much of anybody about this. So in Assembling Ella, there is a character named Owen, and Owen has a mysterious something going on with him. You're not sure what. Um, but my next book is going to be Owen's story about discovering his diagnosis and what happens next. Wow. How old is Owen? He is 17. 17. And what's the general age of most of your characters? Most of my characters are 17 to 21. Okay, great. Now, is that still considered young adult fiction? Yeah, it, it gets really muddy around there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if your characters... If your characters are under or like 21 or under, they're pro it's probably young adult, but really more importantly are the themes that you're addressing. So I'm addressing a lot of themes about friendship, about, um, you know, big life events and coming of age, as we used to call it in high school, the coming of age story. So everything I write would be considered young adult or possibly new adult, if you've ever heard of that kind of emerging genre, which is New adults, like, you just went to college. Now what? That's It's that age range. Oh, okay. No, I haven't. I haven't. I I love to read, and I'm just so busy that I, it's hard to find the time, it, yeah. you know, for me. That's, that's my biggest obstacle with reading. Yeah. Well, Emma, it has been such a pleasure getting to know you and hearing your story and all about your books, and they just sound absolutely incredible. So thank you so much for, for being on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm always excited to talk about books. Yay. All right, Emma, you take care. And I, I think I'll be seeing you uh, sometime so. in, the, in the near future. <laughs> yeah. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Emma G. Rose was such an interesting person to speak with. I hope you enjoyed it as well. And it, her books just sound really, really interesting and certainly very helpful for anyone who is experiencing any sort of grief and loss. So check her out. And thank you so much for joining me today. You can check me out at sandyscarlotta.com. My book, Happiness Solved, Climbing 100 Steps, is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Coach Sandy Scarlotta. And as always, I hope that you and your family stay safe and healthy and that your lives are filled with peace, joy, happiness, and an abundance of gratitude. Take care, everyone. Yes.